0: Welcome to Amplify Music by Amanda Fieri from her Arata EP which is released this week. And all proceeds from the sale of the album go towards the Civic Theatre Artist Emergency Relief Fund. It's available for sale on Bandcamp and we include a link in the show notes and we'd encourage you to purchase this to help our artists during this time. This is episode 16. Yvonne, how are you?
1: I'm well, Jonathan. Thank you and I hope you are too.
0: We're over three weeks into these COVID-19 related restrictions now. We're still at the very early stages of all this. But how has the new music and art sector in Ireland been responding to these changes so far?
1: Uh, I think there's been really a very strong response, um, both um, by creative artists themselves and the resource organisations then on their behalf to um, ensure that uh, what the sector needs now is provided for and that provision is made for the future because as you've just said there Jonathan we're over three weeks into this crisis we're we're almost all a month working from home a month where concerts have been uh, cancelled and really the effect on audiences you know there's the there's the artist but then of course the audience which we're all part of and uh, I just heard a staggering fact yesterday that 2.5 5 million of lost audiences here in Ireland over March April and May and I think that comes from uh, a a survey that was taken last week so this is so Significant for the community in terms of their income, and in terms of their artistic practice as well, because it's really such an uncertain time for artists that it's quite difficult for them to sit down and really do what they what they do well, what they usually do. To really have that headspace for their creative practice is quite difficult. And uh, this was referred to a lot yesterday, Jonathan, in the National Campaign for the Arts Zoom meeting which had a staggering over 300 people. The committee there has done such great work over the last uh, four weeks, particularly in the last week since the announcement uh, of the Arts Council's COVID-19 Response Award, which um, CMC has uh, sent our serious concerns about that award to the Arts Council earlier in the week and uh, will do so also to the park. To the department of culture heritage in the gail we also submitted the responses to the survey earlier in the week as well and i want to thank uh, everyone who sent in their response to that survey it's still on our website and it's uh at cmc.ie forward slash covid survey we'll, we'll keep that survey open for uh, as long as we need to and i would encourage Everybody who's active in the sector, composers, performers, commissioners, producers, um, those who are running projects um, for for the sector to contribute to that uh, survey, because we need those responses. We need to keep feeding them back to the Arts Council and to the department. The impact is very serious. So we need to keep hearing from artists about how it's affecting them.
0: So on that, this week we're we're checking in with some artists and composers to see how they're dealing with the crisis and how they are coping. We speak to singer Elizabeth Hilliard, who's based in Dublin, and composer Frank Corcoran, who's in Hamburg. But first, pianist Isabel O'Connell in New York. I spoke to Isabel earlier this week. Isabel has worked with many Irish composers and she talks about her work with some of these in the interview and a lot more besides. Here it is now. Isabel, how are you today?
2: Hi, Jonathan. It's nice to hear your voice. I'm hanging in here. I'm in Queens, New York, which is the epicenter of the epicenter at the moment. Um, very high numbers of cases and you hear sirens day and night in the neighbourhood. So but you know, I'm safe here at home and trying to not go out too much. I suppose I'm lucky in that sense. It's good to remember there are people who are worse off. It is very, very strange times indeed, and certainly there are much fewer people out and about, and just everything came to sort of a ground to a halt. Um. um yesterday, I I went out to the grocery store with masks and glove on, and with beautiful sunshine, and you know the blossoms are on the trees, and it just felt so strange to be wrapped up. In, in that year, you know, as spring is is uh, coming to life.
0: In terms of your work, what are you managing to keep going?
2: All concerts have come to a halt, which has been pretty crushing and disappointing. I was in the middle of one of my busiest seasons in memory. The last concerts I did actually were in Ireland a month ago and it just felt so lucky to get to do those, the Finding a Voice concerts in Clonmel. Mm. You know, I've had so many other things cancelled right after that, I was supposed to do a big, a high profile solo concert in at the national sawdust venue in Brooklyn, Mm -hmm. which was a multimedia concert with film and electronics. And I'd been working with the composer very intensively over the previous months. So that's been postponed indefinitely. My hope is that it'll happen eventually at some point. But obviously there's little motivation to, to practice and work on that when, you know, there's no date in sight. Um, and then there've been, you know, so many other things also cancelled or, or postponed indefinitely. um, right through to the summer, um, the summer work has dried up. So it's been very, very hard disappointing because, you know, when you're in the middle of a season and you're working really hard and learning all the notes and performing regularly, you know, you're just it's go, go, go. And for that to just suddenly stop is really jarring luckily i also have two teaching positions here one is at bard college which is a liberal arts college upstate and also at a music school in manhattan that is continuing online i've moved my emphasis to that um learning all the online platforms and moving the classes online, which has been challenging in its own way. I've been trying to adjust to that. And that's sort of where my energies have been the last couple of weeks. So I'm really grateful that I have sort of diversified my sources of income in that way, because, you know, I really feel for people who were solely dependent on performing and don't have that at all.
0: Are there any supports for artists in the, in the US that have been introduced as, as, re, as a result of this uh, pandemic?
2: There was a bill that was recently passed that where anyone who has paid into the tax system in the US, I think is going to get a handout of $1,200 just to help out. In addition to that, for arts funding, yes, there have been a number of different funds set up. One is through the Grammy organization that hosts the grammy awards they have a a fund to help musicians in times of trouble and also healthcare and that kind of thing Mm. and there's a solidarity fund that has been set up by some prominent composers. These composers are are people who have faculty positions at universities, uh, like Harvard and that kind of thing. And so they felt in a position to be able to help out other composers and musicians who maybe aren't as fortunate. There are various sort of streams like that for people to source.
0: And what are some of the things you miss most about your your work and your music, your work with composers, and your your concert work?
2: Well, collaborating with people and seeing people in person, obviously, is is, is a big one. I think the other thing that's really hard is the impact of this is just going to last so much longer than whatever the duration of us being you know in isolation. If we can finally not be out in public again in you know a month or two. The knock-on effect is going to go so far beyond the the concerts that are already cancelled or postponed because, you know, when you think about planning for future seasons, nobody's really planning for next year or the year after right now. All that work of being in touch with presenters and working towards that isn't happening. I think it's going to be at least a year before things are back to normal. Aside from the day-to-day of like, you know, working with people is just not knowing when we will be able to resume things as normally and and get things back to where they were. And maybe we won't get things back to where they were because, you know, some institutions may not weather this. The economic effects are going to be huge. um. so it's just there's a lot of unknowns. So we just have to take it day to day.
0: None of us can predict into the future in terms of what's going to happen. But I suppose a lot of the thinking is that this is going to bring about a certain amount of change and it's not going to be a simple case of us just slotting back into how things were before. You know, you mentioned online platforms for teaching. Do you see any possibilities around some of that technology in terms of helping you to sort of collaborate or to present you work or maybe ideas that you know, composers haven't thought of yet?
2: It's possible. I feel like people are sort of falling into two general categories. Some people are presenting stuff online and they have setups to be able to do that, and they have the technology and the Mm -hmm. space to be able to do that. And maybe, you know, they're in a place where things aren't as stressful and they have sort of the time and space. But I've spoken to a lot of performers and composers, especially who have not found this a time to be creative because of the stress because if you have kids you know you're busy enough trying to homeschool them never mind trying to do your own work and that's just not conducive to creativity or practicing or so i th- i think you're right though i think things are going to be very different i don't think it's going to go back to normal and hopefully hopefully there'll be some positive changes in addition to probably a lot of negative ones and sort of how we move forward um is going to be crucial in
0: that i think if anything this whole kind of period sort of proves to be how much people kind of value music and value live performance and and i suppose some of these impromptu live streams that people have done really shows there's a need for engaging with live music so hopefully when these restrictions are eased that people will realize gosh you know i'm gonna really make it my business even though i mightn't have gone to many live concerts to go to more live concerts i guess that's one way of looking at it but of course the other way is that that all of this ingrains kind of patterns of behavior that people are just happy to continue living their online existence as they're doing and
2: expecting everything to just be online yeah rather than having to leave the house yeah i know it could go either way you would hope that out of this, people will have sort of more of a a gratitude towards all the arts. I mean, you do see people sort of turning to painting or writing or, you know, picking up their guitar. Hopefully, you know, the value of that will be appreciated. But I feel like there's a fundamental misunderstanding among non-musicians and non-composers of what's involved in, in creating. Those not involved in the arts, I feel sometimes just don't realize you need space and time and tranquility. Composer John Adams was asked about this recently in the midst of um, all this COVID-19 stuff. You know, he's written operas on, on things like, you know, Nixon in China and the atomic bomb and these sort of uh, pivotal moments in history. And so I I guess he was asked, are you picking headlines from the news, you know, for your next big opera or whatever? And he said, you know what? I'm in my seventies with my wife, we're hunkered down and we're just reading all these stories about the health workers feeling humbled. And then I think he quoted Wordsworth saying something about poetry being emotion recollected in tranquility. And he said that in his case, he's not going to be able to compose and and think about all this and, you know, think about putting it into something creative until that sort of tranquility has resumed. I think that's so important. And that's why we have, you know, arts residencies and retreats, uh, because artists need that kind of space um, and time to be able to create. It's not something that can just be done under pressure, you know, when you're stressed about survival or reading these terrible headlines.
0: I think that's a really, really important point. And I think you could you could even tie that back to the announcement of supports for artists by the Department of the Arts.
2: Yes, I, I, I was thinking very specifically about that, actually. Yeah, it was so wrong on just so many levels, expecting artists to just be able to create on demand and also not even not even just that but the fact that you know such a limited number of potential awards you know when there's like i think fifty thousand people involved in the arts um in ireland and you know you're giving a few hundred opportunities it did seem really insulting
0: it is a very important point i think that the expectation is that the tap will keep running you know for composers whereas they're all having the same concerns as everybody else to just expect that composers are going to continue working like as if they're immune from all of this
2: absolutely yeah i know some are turning to other forms of art as as just further respite whether it's writing or painting because it's the hobby thing of just taking your mind off of it um, as opposed to like trying to create like some masterpiece you know, which is impossible in the middle of all the stress. I think in time, uh, composers will maybe will reflect back on this and, and maybe write stuff in response to it. But it's not something you do right in the middle of it.
0: Maybe just thinking back to a time before this, and you mentioned your one of the last concerts you gave was for the Finding a Voice a series. And you did a, a new work by Gwani Mulvey.
2: That's right. Oh, She wrote me this fantastic work for piano and electronics. It was lovely to play it in, in that church in Clonmel. And it, it got a great response. She's a fabulous composer. And what, what she does with the electronics, um, they even created a special app that timed me in at the beginning and it was like a phone app and just it was amazing what she did in, in a very short space of time too.
0: Who would you mention as being important to you in, in the last number of years in relation to your to your work, these, these being Irish composers?
2: Well, Linda Buckley is somebody who, who I've worked with a lot and she wrote me a piece, Door* which we actually recorded for CD release um, over Christmas hmm. in December. I don't know when the, the scheduled release date is now, but it was set for later in this year on the NMC. It's gonna be a CD of her music, a portrait CD, and um, lots of great music on that. So I would say she's she's been a, a, a great composer to work with. In in January, I premiered a piece by Raymond Dean that he'd sent me a couple of years beforehand. I did a solo concert in last November at the Irish Arts Centre, which was sort of like a retrospective of of looking back at different composers that I've worked with, with a strong emphasis on on Irish composers. I played like 13 different composers, so I I don't remember them all now, but Danica Dennehy is also somebody I've I've worked with a lot, Uh, not so much recently. but performed his piece stainless staining quite a bit and also his work reservoir that he wrote for me back in 2010 i think now so someone else i should mention i'm just remembering now is siobhan cleary because we did um a collaboration at the national gallery just over a year ago uh we performed her on dean we've worked a lot and i've, I've played her her solo piece Shakan, uh both in new york and also at the finding a voice back in february too
0: seems flippant to ask about future projects or future collaborations with with uh, Irish composers. But are you know, are there any ones that you have in mind or plans for? I mean, obviously, I take it that a lot of these plans are on hold or for the foreseeable.
2: It's hard to think about commissioning a po- composer right now, because again, what are we commissioning for? When mm. will that be? It's I just don't know. I, I, I mean, I saw that the Arts Council had opened their commissioning round, but, you know, usually you need a presenting organization, you know, and a date. <laughs> so it makes it quite difficult.
0: It's probably just a case of hunkering down for a few more months and then out of this a bit more clarity or certainty will begin to emerge. But, you know, we're not going to turn a corner and then all of a sudden everything falls into place for 2021. And that's a difficult psychological place to be in.
2: It is, it really, really is. Because, yeah, like you said, you know, even if things day to day life gets back to normal in a couple of months, there's still that knowledge that, you know, work wise, we're going to be affected for a long, long time. Um, I suppose the only thing I hope is that, you know, having been cooped up for so long, that eventually <laughs> when I feel released uh, that, you know, there'll be maybe a burst of energy for work and, you know, creating new work and working with composers and other musicians, um, you know, getting back out into the world. I think everyone will be just raring to go and hopefully that energy will, will create some positive changes. At the end of the day, humanity is resilient and no matter what happens, you know, it moves forward hopefully most people will recover you find new outlets new ways of creating Um. hopefully you know there'll be a time of you know reassessing priorities and what do we value and hopefully one of those things is music and the arts and it i mean it would be wonderful if that could translate into more support and more funding for artists so if it could lead to just a better understanding of what's involved and in terms of creating work and appreciating the value of that, that would be a positive.
0: Well, here's hoping, Isabel. Uh, that's a, a nice point to to end on, I think. Isabel, thanks so much for your time today. It's been great to talk to you, uh, even if it's under these slightly Uh, unusual circumstances but you know hopefully we'll we'll get to see in person again sometime soon when all this is over
2: hopefully the next time it'll be a more cheerful positive conversation
1: That was New York based Irish pianist Isabel O'Connell and such a great communicator about music and about why she's drawn to certain composers work.
0: So from New York, we move to Hamburg, where our next conversation with Frank Corcoran was recorded. I spoke to Frank by phone and he chatted to me about how now is not a good time for trying to compose music, language and suffering and how writing sonnets is helping him during this time. And if you listen carefully, you'll even hear cameo appearances from both of our dogs during the recording. Hello, Jonathan. Good to hear you. How are you doing today? Oh, very
3: good, very good. Brilliant sunshine today.
0: Fantastic. And are you allowed out uh, at the moment? Yeah. Or?
3: Well, uh, we are. We're, not, we're a little bit less strict than ye. But of course, it's all. No, it's all a little bit cut. The whole Western world, in fact, the whole world, were all very mixed up. The one artwork that really got this, of course, it was uh, by Mr. Sam Beckett, Waiting for Godot. Those of us who are not sick and are not infected, we're all very worried and so on because we're waiting and waiting and we don't even quite know what waiting for, what. What interests me is that great artists, great composers of the past, they, they had to handle this, and they did handle it magnificently. Uh, you know, Bach himself, the great Sebastian Bach, burying the first wife and, and children. And again, I came across his cantata 101, Nim von uns Herr du treuer Gott, which was, take away all our sins from us, uh, God, because, you know, we're being lacerated by the plague. It was the pest, the bubonic plague it would have been. We don't have that. But Mm. we do have, we're eaten into by deep insecurity and fear. Several of our senses are all mixed up in this thing. At the moment, so it's not a good time. I certainly cannot at the moment, and I don't intend to do any kind of, you know, a plague cantata or a symphony on, uh, you know, virology. Put sound wrong. Although, in fact, I am planning for the future. But I was on on to this before the beginning of March. uh, A work for the future, which I'm calling Queens and Canons for a big chamber ensemble which I suppose we're back to the idea of music and suffering, queeners and canons. How does music express in all kinds of wacko, non-verbal ways, it, it can express great suffering? And actually, I've taken for my Queeners and Canons a new scale. I mean, I was working for years on, a, on the Frank Corcoran scale, which mm-hmm. is an eight note scale that I cobbled up myself. But for this uh, Queen and in Canons, I've got out my carpentry set and I've got a very, very good, very simple, very, very um, strong and keening scale. It's a 12 tone scale, really. It's, it's made up of the tritone and the minor second.
0: Are you composing this at the moment?
3: I am. I am. Now, big difficulty with concentration, of course. But, uh, oh, I certainly am, yeah.
0: And do you find that uh, composing, particularly during this time, helps to take your mind off the anxiety, I guess, that we're all experiencing at different levels? Yeah, anxiety
3: was the word I wanted, yeah. Yeah, I think it does, yeah. But I'm not good at it at the moment. It's not a good time for composing. I'm not a Heinrich Schütz or a Sebastian Bach. Mm. Actually, what is helping me better is I'm composing 50 wonky sonnets. I discovered the sonnet, So I'm back, not just music and suffering, but language and suffering. Mm. So I'm composing at least a, a sonnet a day, or sometimes at night, in the middle of the night. Uh, it comes out of, of sleep. Now, I'm not a poet, and I don't intend to be one, but I am a versifier. doggerel, very good doggerel coming up and the strict sonnet form i'm working at that that's keeping my head cool actually there's something else uh, i want to get off my chest here which is not viral or not yet viral or it's not even post-viral language and suffering as i say because the word is close to tone also i mean they're they are distinct but but word and tone they can they can swim into each other. A little while back, again, because I spent my life writing haikus, the little short uh, three-liner. Actually, I'd love to give you a couple of these little ones, because a little while back, these are not overtly at all about suffering, about our critical time. But these open it out a bit, and they give my imagination, because imagination is the is the big enemy, isn't it? It's gone, for everybody, it's gone haywire. These little short ones, they open out the imagination, which I really want to do. Let let me give you a couple of them just here. And out of these, I made a huge choral work, a kind of a choral symphony, actually, eight haikus. My young love, Buddha, came to us softly, sleeping, and his sap rising. And the second one then, totally different, but again it opens you up your imagination. Through our Milky Way glides and flexes and ripples, old solar system. I love the fourth one, she's is very close to me. Your imagination will feel why. Deep purple twilight. In the bay lie three islands. Asleep like children. So they're not bad, you know, they're, they're close to the music and they, they do make a kind of a wacko choral symphony mm. and they get my imagination going away from my wonky sonnets in a time of plague, away from the, you know, what we're all, the whole world is, is going through
0: virally at the moment. You know, you mentioned that you, you won't be writing anything sort of uh, viral related, but in the way that you've written those sonnets as you've done with the with the haikus in the past could these potentially morph into or be the basis of a of a future work
3: i don't think so no i think they're just five finger exercises at four o'clock in the morning Mm. uh jonathan because i mean actually very few composers have successfully handled setting the sonnet form why because the sonnet form is very strict You've got iambic pentameter. You've got your four and four lines, and then you have later three and three. You know, it's all worked out by Shakespeare and Petrarch and the boys. But it's how will your music handle that? You really should should respect that formal background of the of the sonnet. And if you don't, if it's kind of free, if you free it up a bit, it's all over the place. So the answer is no, I don't think so. Anyway, it's, it's word and suffering and uh, music and suffering. And of course, what is suffering?
0: Which has been a theme of some of your pieces in the past as well. Oh, yes. It?
3: Yeah. yeah. Oh. Too much of suffering. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. And any kind of direct, I don't believe in any direct literalism at all. I think that's, that's not good art.
0: What would be the sort of work do you think you'll write after this period?
3: Well, the first work I certainly want to write after this period, and again, I have a lot of ideas for it, is a work for string orchestra. I'm going to call it Three String Dreams, because some of this stuff has come up in sleep. So I think it's an exciting development, uh, dream, sleepy stuff. That's one, certainly one. Mm. Uh, project and uh, I, I, maybe the other maybe we we get one of my wonky sonnets cut it up uh, in, out of the waste paper basket and then churn it through a couple of computers and things I don't know but again that too will be back to the problem of the word uh, or the syllable or denotation and connotation what does that do you know a little syllable what does it do in your imagination the hearer and then how do I how do I get it together, in mm. uh, in some kind of proper big form? So beyond that, I'm not going to think.
0: Well, we look forward when all this passes, when these yeah. new works, COVID or non-COVID related, emerge from you and on all your other fellow composers and musicians, Frank Corcoran. Thank you so much for chatting to me by phone today. Both of our dogs barked at different times during this they recording. Did.
3: A bit of good 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 polyphony in the dogs there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you, Frank. Look after yourself.
3: Hey, ciao, ciao.
1: Composer Frank Corcoran from Hamburg and as always through his music and through his words making us pause for thought and even at this unusual time bringing his unique blend of philosophical humour to the podcast. Finally we have soprano Elizabeth Hilliard. She chats about how she's using the time to develop her own practice, her ongoing collaboration with Grania Mulvey as well as her work with other composers including David Bremner, Siobhan Cleary and Jennifer Walsh. Thank you.
4: I certainly feel I need to remember it this is temporary, it it is going to change. And maybe in a year's time, I definitely in a year's time, I hope, and we'll be back performing and doing what we normally do. So I'm kind of using this time to develop my my own practice and how how I learn music, and I'm got some a book by Kristen Linklater about the voice which I'm exploring at the moment. I'm exploring some Feldenkrais um, and all these somatic practices which have always been important to my my own work and seeing how that can develop my my own performing and my own skills as a singer and at the same time I've had I think two composers have been have sent me some pieces that they're working on or ideas about pieces they're working on and they're just normal pieces that I'll perform in a normal way they're, there's nothing particularly online about them I think it's fascinating it's, like I've worked a lot with Gráinne Mulvey over the years and just how we interact when we're creating music together well, I mean she does most of the creating I just do performing but I think it's it's something that'll be interesting to what people to, to know more about. I remember in college we did like sketch studies. We did a module on sketch studies and it was, it was really fascinating and we were looking at Stravinsky mainly and I was seeing what the pieces were before they were written and there's something really interesting about the collaborative process between composer and performer and everyone kind of talks about it but it's hard to define exactly what what, what it is and what happens So I've always kind of thought it'd be really interesting to document some of that. Just basic, you know, writing a diary of met on a certain day, had this discussion, made me think of this thing. At the moment, we're working on a new piece, which we're very much looking forward to performing in the Great Music and Irish Houses Festival. And they've commissioned Gráinne to write um, a piece um, using texts from women, uh, revolutionary women, um, so at the moment, we're kind of having a few different email conversations. We're both reading um, a lot of um, materials from, you know, early 20th century Ireland and looking at come on, the man. Naman. Um, so sometimes we're just kind of talking about the different th- things that happened and words that are really powerful. Sometimes it's just like everyday details in people's lives, you know, that music can highlight some- somehow. Um, So at the moment, Gráinne is picking some some of these excerpts and she's sending them to me and I'm reading them and recording it and sending it back. And then my voice will be used with those recordings will make their way into the final piece. And I think the next stage is, she's often done this, she'll send me kind of a list of some things to record, like it'll be some, do some harmonic singing, do some glissandos, um sing some vowels. Uh, she described it the other day in an email as phonetic acrobats, laced sibilances. I just think it's an amazing image. Um, so that'll be really fun to do. I think the thing that's different about working with Gronia is that she's got to know my voice in the way I've got to know her writing. So she will find like a part of my voice and she'll just write for it she'll have heard something in my voice that's like, oh, I'd like to emphasize that color or that that register. And it'll just work almost by magic. Um, but I know obviously it's huge skill and intuition on her part.
0: some of the other composers that you have worked with and some of the other works i'm thinking of of your your partner david bremner who you've who you've done a lot of work with over the years maybe tell me about his music and uh, some of the things that you've performed uh, together and recorded
4: um so david is a really really fascinating composer he um spends an awful lot of time thinking about how the music is going to work and he will get really really interested in some really obscure things and like it's amazing to see him working he could just spend hours and then really really you know solve some incredibly difficult mathematical puzzles or like his knowledge of literature is huge as well and he's he's written so many pieces for me he wrote three songs for me as a Christmas present one year I I love doing them. I perform them a number of times. One is unaccompanied, and I know it by heart, which is quite unusual for contemporary music. He also wrote a setting of a Philip Larkin text coming, and it's just so beautiful. But it's incredibly difficult, and he doesn't intend it to be. It's not like he says, I have to write difficult music, but just the way his music works, it it is by its nature difficult he feels because he's he he knows that I can learn really difficult music than I feel I'm able to do but then I listen back to recordings and I'm like how on earth did I do that and so something quite exciting about that quite early on he asked me my you know opinions on kind of vocal ranges and things like that and his pieces never cause difficulty in that regard I won't get vocally tired singing his music it'll be written in with a really good awareness of the limitations of the human voice and stamina, there's never problems in breathing. It's it's more mathematical and brain problems that 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 happen. And but there you know you can you can get beyond them.
0: I guess you know since since you've mentioned or we've spoken about or or you've spoken about uh, two composers so far. Maybe talk about some of the other composers and 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 pieces that you have worked with over the years that are important to you uh, or mean something to you.
4: I have always loved the Irish language, and um, I was delighted. I think it was 2011, Siobhan Cleary had said she wanted to write a song for me. And and I said, oh my God, that'd be amazing. And so she wrote and she selected um, part of Queen of which I'd studied for my Leaving Cert Irish. And So again, it was really a nice connection with the past, but my family had, my granny's mother was um, an Irish scholar. She was one of the first women in Trinity. I think she was in the second year of women entrance in Trinity and she'd studied Irish. And so I've always kind of kind of connected that with my family's past. Um so it was amazing to sing, uh, sing sing in Irish. So Siobhan wrote Queen Arty Lyra for, for me.
0: You have a final piece because I know I know this in advance because you sent me a list. I'm reading off it. you. have A final <laughs> piece by by Jennifer Walsh.
4: There's actually a CMC connection with my my connection with Jennifer Walsh. I had sung her "White Noisery" with um, Chamber Choir Ireland when that was commissioned in I think 2012, and I knew her, her music and I'd seen her perform live. And um, but I was I think maybe 2000 and. 14 or something I was in the CMC for culture night and I was just kind of being nosy and looking around and I saw there was a pile of music by Jennifer and it was all unaccompanied vocal ensemble music and I'd never heard of any of it and I think it was Mary and I Mary Green and I was like Mary what's what's this just oh yeah I'm always sending these off to Germany there's plenty of people over there it's quite regularly I'm sending this music off and I looked 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 at a few pieces then I looked at a few online and I was like there's a huge amount of unaccompanied vocal ensemble music by this highly regarded international, like Irish phenomenon, like on the, on the world scene. Mm. And it's not known here. So, um, myself and David with our company, Bail, we um, applied for and received money from the arts council to put on a festival, uh, inappropriate moments in 2016 in the project Arts center. And we presented all of her unaccompanied vocal ensemble music, most of which had never been performed for over two days. And it was like one of the best things I've ever, I ever—I feel I've ever done. Like it was just, it was just brilliant. So I was directing the singers and we were exploring the music and just, I think we all had so much fun uh, putting the whole thing together. And Jennifer was, she sent me a lovely email after saying, how special the occasion was and um, how impressed she was with all the singers and how well it had all gone and that it really, really meant something for her, that her music was getting presented in Ireland.
0: Elizabeth Hilliard, thanks very much.
4: Thanks very much, Jonathan.
0: That's all for this episode. For a list of all the music used, please check out the show notes for the podcast. We'll be back again in two weeks with another episode. Until then, bye for now.